You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Good morning, Grace family. It is week 83 of our online service. No, <laughs> it is week 8 of us not meeting together at church. Can you believe that? As you know, it's going to be a little bit of a slow process getting back to the building. Our staff and elders have been working on a tentative schedule to get us in that direction. Today and next Sunday, we'll meet like this. And then the last two weeks of May, our staff and those who are participating in the service will mostly, or all of us, will be at the church building. We'll record on Saturday and then release the service at 10 a.m. as usual on Sunday morning. On the first Sunday of June, if all goes well, and we are in phase two of reopening, it is our hope to meet at the church building with precautions, of course. It is also our intention to be live streaming from that time on because there will be some who, for health reasons, will not be able to meet with us at the church building. Please pray for the staff and elders as we make these decisions. Since we are moving toward live streaming, we will need additional servers for the AV team. You may have sensed a bit of urgency from Dr. Calvert last week as he shared this prayer focus with our body. Uh, you would be right in sensing that urgency. Would you be willing to pray and see if the gifting that God has given you might assist us on that team? Please talk with David if you think the Lord may be wanting you to serve with us on this team. We know that the Lord has chosen the exact right people to be there, and maybe that's you. If you would, please pray about it. Getting back to normal. It seems that few issues surrounding the COVID-19 pandemic are simple. I've been praying for unity in our church family as opinions range everywhere from shelter in place as long as possible uh, to get back to, to life as usual and just whatever happens, happens. We have long valued in our land both physical and financial security at idolatrous levels. And now it seems we must choose between one or the other. It seems as if we thought nothing could defeat us. The conflict between those with opposing views is in many places ugly and contentious. I have not sensed that ugliness at grace but it is vital, please hear me on this, it is vital to our testimony that we extend grace to one another in our differences. Our text today, John 16, 4b through 15, takes us along with Jesus' disciples to places that most believers ever get to go, and most believers, frankly, are unwilling to go. I've titled the message, Going Deep with Jesus. I doubt this title would win a homiletics competition, but every step of the way in these 12 verses, you get the sense that Jesus is saying to his disciples, you're just not thinking at the level you should. 
There is a reason for that, though. You're not ready. One day you will be, and the Holy Spirit will help you when that day comes. While you are waiting, I want to share some really heavy stuff with you that's going to make sense later. Studying this text, I discerned patterns in my own life that mirrored the disciples' deficient thinking. Even though I have the indwelling Holy Spirit and God's completed and finished word to guide me, neither of which the disciples possessed at that time. I think you will also find common ground with the confused and bewildered disciples who were trying to process the notion that Jesus was going away at the very moment they expected him to assume his rightful position as King of Israel. If you were joining us for the first time, it will help to know that we are going through in our church the Gospel of John, and we have reached the place in the story where Jesus is providing intense instruction to his disciples on the night before he was crucified. Last words. We all know that last words are important words. The, the, the section of John that we are in is known as the Farewell Discourse, and it covers chapters 13 through 17. Even as Jesus informed the disciples that he would be leaving, he promised to send the paraclete, or the advocate, one of the many descriptions of the Holy Spirit. Jesus' words in this section must have left the disciples stunned, though, as we will see next week, not speechless. Before we dive in, let's turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, we approach this text with deep respect, recognizing the depth of the truth that is taught here. We also approach this text with great anticipation, knowing the benefit of going into the deep waters of Scripture that take us to new depths with our Savior. These new depths prepare us for life's ever-changing and unexpected difficulties. Thank you for not leaving us in the shallows, even when we wanted to stay there, but for drawing us into the benefits of a deeper walk with you. Open the understanding of our hearts to the truth of your word and make us responsive, even if we are a little confused and more than a little scared. Teach us to trust Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Rather than working through the text and afterwards drawing application, as is often the case, it seemed best to me with this passage to make application as we go. There are three sections in this text, and so it will not surprise you that there are three main points to the message, beginning with Jesus graciously moves us past ourselves to focus on him, which is to our benefit, even when it does not feel like it. John 16, 4b through 7. We have real life examples of this all the time, don't we? When a child is bothered by something and in a state of panic, often you will hear the parents saying, look at me, look at me, Jacob, look at me. 
Once the parent has the child's attention, then the lesson can begin. Then the comfort can be given. Before that, though, the child is trying to address the situation with his limited understanding. And even though he is finding himself inadequate, there is no motivation whatsoever to turn his attention elsewhere and look outside himself. The parent could have helped the child avoid the panic, of course, but did not want to stop an invaluable lesson. Jesus chose not to reveal everything to his disciples before his death and resurrection, but he chided them a little bit because they had not asked him the meaning of his announced departure. In verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you ask, Where are you going? But because I have said these things, sorrow has filled your heart. If you think back to earlier text in this farewell discourse, the disciples had asked Jesus on a couple of occasions where he was going, but their inquiries revealed self-centered hearts as in going away. What do you mean you're going away? What on earth will we do without you? The disciples were perplexed and would soon be distraught. Jesus acknowledged that their sorrow did not allow them to look beyond their circumstances. And had we been there, I can assure you, none of us would have done any better whatsoever. The disciples were grieving Jesus' absence even before he was gone. Grief is not only not a wrong response to loss, but it is one of God's gracious gifts to us. Several members of our church have experienced grief in sometimes expected, sometimes unexpected ways in the last few weeks, and others have uh, remembered a loss on an anniversary of someone who was very precious to them. In such times, the psalms of lament are beautiful gifts to us. Did you know that the Psalms of Lament outnumber the Psalms of Praise? God understands and enters our grief through his word. Many people think it's wrong to question God, but in the Psalms, believers question God all the time. Chad Bird points out that in the Psalms, we ask why and how long and where are you? When is all this pain going to end? Bird says this, quote, The questions in the Psalms are not an indication of a lack of faith, but the questions are premised on faith itself. We cannot speak to a God in whom we do not believe. So to question God is truly an expression of faith because we know that he is the kind of God who cares for us in our pain. He will answer us. And until he answers us, he will sustain us in his mercy. So to ask God how long or where are you or why is to do the will of God himself because he has given us these questions to ask. Close quote. If Jesus was rebuking his disciples, it was a gentle rebuke designed to refocus their hearts and minds on him. 
In verse 7, Jesus told the disciples that it would be to their advantage that he go away because if he did not go away, the advocate would not come to them. Why, why does God do things in that way? I don't know. Why is it that Israel must fall away so the Gentiles may come in? Why does there have to be heaven and hell both? Why does Jesus have to leave before the Holy Spirit can come? I don't know, but God's ways are above our ways. And we see this beautiful symmetry as those at Grace know I love often in Scripture. Just imagine the conversation between Jesus and the disciples going something like this if the disciples had, been, had the courage to engage Jesus in this way. Jesus says, well, boys, I've been telling you that I'm going away and not one of you has bothered to try to understand why I'm going away and where I am going exactly. The disciples, how is you leaving a good thing right as everything is coming together? This makes no sense at all. Jesus, your problem is that you cannot see beyond this moment. This is the time for Better questions. Anyone? No? Well, I'm going to tell you a few things that will not make sense to you now, but this will eventually make sense, so please tuck these words away. The way I'm going to help you, I'm going to help you remember is this. I'm going to send the paraclete to you, the advocate, the helper, the comforter, the counselor. End of conversation. Now, you may have your own version of the conversation, but that was the gist of it. In our moment of despair, it is difficult to think beyond our pain. But the Lord is patient with us, allowing us to sit in our sorrow with our questions. When our hearts calm down, we learn to trust him. We may not receive the answers to our questions, but so long as Jesus is our focus, we will be okay. Interestingly enough, in time, our thoughts turn to the issues of life that we might never have contemplated if life had gone as we expected and hoped that it would go, which is the focus of our second point, in the next few verses. The Holy Spirit brings clarity to Jesus' followers for life's most important issues. John 16, verses 8 through 11. Now, this point that I've just made is a rather bold statement. Not only will we know what the most important issues of life are, but we will understand them. What is the most important truth that you can possibly know? Ravi Zachariah speaks of four questions to which we all want answers. One, what is my origin or where did I come from? Two, what is my purpose or what is the meaning of life? Three, how can I know what is right or wrong? It's a question of morality. And four, what is my destiny? Destiny, where am I going when I die? 
Jesus will answer these questions with three statements in our text. He's going to answer these questions with three statements that may not seem all that important in the push and pull of everyday life. But these are the most important issues of life that all need to understand, but only some will. In verses 8 through 11, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would bring clarity to the disciples' understanding in the three fundamental issues that will determine where we will spend eternity. The three issues are sin, righteousness, and judgment. When we understand these concepts rightly. We will be drawn to Jesus, and no one can stand before the Father unless they are right with Jesus. The religious leaders who opposed Jesus got everything wrong about these three issues. With your Bible open, I will read verses 8 through 11, then we're going to break it down. And when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. First, we need to know what it means that the Holy Spirit will convict the world. If you are a believer, you may think that this means that the Holy Spirit will show people their sin as a call to repentance. <laughs> and if this is what you think, you are exactly right. It is the Holy Spirit who will cause a person's spiritual eyes to be open to realize the truth about sin, righteousness, and judgment. How does the world get this so wrong and how is it that God's children understand the truth? First, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit will convict the world concerning sin because they do not believe in him. Now, if you'll remember the context, that's going to help us understand. Do you remember last week's text when Jesus said that if he had not come, those who had rejected him would not be guilty of their sin? There were only a few minutes between Jesus' statement about the leader's guilt and this declaration about sin. As Michael Card says, before Jesus, the opposite of sin was righteousness, but now the opposite of sin is faith in Jesus. Like the religious leaders, many of us are trying to make ourselves good enough for God. But if we do not acknowledge our sin, we will never be accepted by God. Second, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would convict the world of righteousness because he was going to the Father. If you do not understand Jesus' purpose for coming to this earth, this is not going to make sense to you. If the world had been right about Jesus, they would not accuse him of sin. It is Jesus' righteousness that assures our destination for eternal life, if and when we believe. Furthermore, Jesus' return to his Father affirms his claim of righteousness. The leaders who opposed Jesus were seeking to please God with their good works. 
Jesus often quoted Isaiah, and it's, it's highly possible that he thought about Isaiah 64, 6 when he contrasted his own righteousness with that of the religious leaders. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. The third truth that would be clarified by the Holy Spirit was about judgment, because, as Jesus said, the ruler of this world is judged. In a matter of hours after Jesus made this statement, he would be hanging on a Roman cross with both the leaders and Satan thinking that they had won. But the promise of Genesis 3.15 was being fulfilled. The serpent bit the heel of the promised redeemer, but Jesus crushed Satan's head. What seemed to the leaders like the final judgment on all the nonsense that Jesus, Jesus had spewed turned out to be the ultimate judgment against sin and Satan. The victory won on the cross was not only a judgment against sin, but the standard by which all sinners will be judged at the end of time for good or bad, depending on whether we have accepted Jesus. But aren't we all sinners? Yes, but it is also true that when we confess our sins to the Lord and accept Jesus' sacrifice as payment for our sins, we will be saved. If you do not know Jesus, would you just bow your head, close your eyes, and pray this prayer with me. Ask the Lord for mercy and say something like this. Jesus, I know that I am a sinner. I confess it. I deserve to be condemned because of my sins. Please forgive me. Lord, you have opened my eyes and I believe that Jesus died for my sins. Dear Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, and come into my heart and save me now. If you prayed that prayer, even if you did not use those exact words, you are now a member of God's family. And this is great news. Look, dear brother or sister in Christ, if you don't Remember a time when you did not believe this and you worry, maybe I didn't have this experience. Let me ask you just one simple question. What do you believe now? I know you believe that Jesus died for you and he's your only hope of heaven. Do not let Satan confuse you about sin and righteousness and judgment. May the Holy Spirit calm your heart and cheer your soul as you prepare for the truth of this last point. Going deep with Jesus in God's Word is a blessed and lifelong process. Superintended by the Holy Spirit. John 16, verses 12 through 15. These last four verses are packed with truth. I think it is best for us to read them and then make a few statements about the truth 
that we all need to understand. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, that is, the Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, look, I didn't mean to trick you when I said there were three main points to the message. It just seems best to me that we organize this last point and this last portion of our text for better study later so that we can understand how the Holy Spirit takes us deeper with Jesus. Three thoughts then, beginning with God reveals himself to us gradually as we are ready to grow. You get the sense that Jesus was not holding back because the disciples were unwilling to learn, but because they were not ready to handle all truth. As parents, do you provide a running commentary about life as it happens to your children? No matter how old they are, do you tell them, well, okay, let me explain this to you, son. My child, my daughter, here's what this means. No, you teach your children right from wrong at an early age, and as they grow, you provide more and more explanation for your decisions and for your expectations for them. It's the same with our relationship with the Lord. When we are absorbed, when we are saved, we absorb a great deal of truth in that first year or so, and we begin to think that we are experts. Within two to three years, we realize we know almost nothing about God's design in Jesus. I want to say to you, in the spirit of this text, relax and get busy learning. The Holy Spirit is the one who will lead you to know and understand more about Jesus, which is the focus of the next thought from these last few verses. The Holy Spirit, who is God, does not act independently of the Father and the Son. This is important. Do you get the sense in our text that the Holy Spirit is a divine person equal to the Father and to the Son? Yes. You do, so long as you do not confuse his role with his nature. Throughout the farewell discourse, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as a divine being sent by both the Father and the Son. Do not forget that the Father sent the Son, and the Son only acted and spoke as the Father directed him to act and speak. And we don't question Jesus' divinity, do we? So don't question the Holy Spirit's divinity. It's important to understand that the Holy Spirit will do the same thing Jesus did. He will act and speak only as he is led to do and to speak. There is perfect unity of purpose and action within the Trinity, which is the basis for our unity, by the way, regardless of how we, we come down on the issues of the day. 
When Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would teach the disciples about things to come, he didn't mean that they would fully grasp God's exact design for the end times, but that he would gradually lead them to understand how God's plan all comes together in Jesus, who proclaimed himself, proclaimed himself to be the way and the truth and the life. Jesus commissioned the apostles to define and describe the new covenant to the world under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Since the Holy Spirit will only speak truth that he has been told to share, it will be consistent with God's word. Hear this. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to believe or do anything that is inconsistent with Scripture. From the earliest days of the church, people have wanted the Spirit to bring new truth and new revelation and to do a new thing. People never seem to be satisfied with the Word. But God's revelation to us ended with the New Testament. Do we understand more of God's truth as we grow in, in Christ? Yes, the Holy Spirit takes us into a deeper and deeper relationship with Jesus and understanding of God's ways. There is no new truth because the Holy Spirit does not act in, within his own authority. So much more about this, but we will close with a final thought from our text, and it is crucial for us to understand. The Holy Spirit's job is to point to Jesus and to glorify him. I'm sure if you have been a Christian for any length of time that someone has told you that you need to find a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit. If someone asks what a Spirit-filled church looks like, you can answer this way. Does that church glorify Jesus? If so, it is a Spirit-filled church. If you went to a wedding, and the, it's not likely that you're going to hear the minister say, Patrick and Alicia make a beautiful couple, don't they? But you should know that the real hero of their love story is Jeffrey Alston, because Jeffrey introduced the happy couple. Ladies and gentlemen, a round of applause for Jeff. Jeff Stent. No. You can imagine Jeff's like, no, 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 not on me. This is not my day. This is their day. The Holy Spirit, working according to God's design, glorifies Jesus, not himself. Brothers and sisters, may Jesus be exalted in our church. May the Holy Spirit take each of us deeper and deeper into a life-changing understanding of our union with Christ, which is our Father's good pleasure. Even in these days when our hearts may be overwhelmed with confusion and sorrow, may we trust God's mercy to sustain us as he takes us to new levels of obedience and understanding. Let's close in prayer. Father, we confess that too often we are comfortable in the shallows. We, we know what to do in the kiddie pool. And we're 
a little concerned about that bigger pool with those deeper waters. When, though, we are thrust into the deep waters due to circumstances or by the work of the Holy Spirit, cause us to trust you and to be obedient, seeking to understand your character and your ways. The more we know about you, the more we're going to learn to trust. And the more we trust, the more we will obey and we will be better for what we know and what we do. Lord, we confess our need of you in this hour and in every hour. Turn our hearts toward Jesus. Prepare us to go deep with him. And it is in the name of our marvelous Savior, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. God bless you. It won't be long before we're all back together. May the Lord bless each and every one of us in the days while we wait. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.